On the morning of March 12, 2011, a woman named Rachel, who was a manager of a Lululemon store in Bethesda, Maryland, arrived at the store just before 8 a.m. Rachel immediately knew something was off. The front door was unlocked and the store was in complete disarray. As she entered the store, she found a scene out of a horror movie. Bloody footprints were leading around the shop and the sound of moaning coming from the back of the store. Not wanting to proceed any further, she asked a customer nearby to enter the store to investigate. He found one woman, who would later be identified as Jaina Murray, deceased, and another woman named Brittany Norwood, who was clearly injured but still alive. Brittany was able to describe the horrific crime in detail, and the case sent shockwaves throughout the small town. But everything was not as it appeared. This is the murder of Jaina Murray. I'm Ashton, and welcome to The Haunted Corner. Welcome back to The Haunted Corner. Kicking off another week with a true crime story for you. This is the murder of Jaina Murray, also known as the Lululemon murder. This one is rough. They all are, but there are twists and turns with this case, and the suspect may surprise you. The sources for today's episode will be on the blog post, and they include a book called Murder in the Yoga Store which is written by Peter Ross Range. It had a lot of good information. So let's get into it. In 2012, 30-year-old Jaina Murray was living in Arlington, Texas with her cat, Hobo, which I'm obsessed with that name, by the way. Jaina lived in the same apartment building as her best friend, Marissa. They did everything together, like best friends would. Jaina was known by her friends as super outgoing, She loved to travel, and she was a positive influence to the people she was close with. She was really physically active, and she was said to be a bit of a risk taker. She had been skydiving, had jumped off a bridge into the Columbia River River Gorge, and for her 30th birthday that year, she went bungee jumping. So she just seemed like a really cool person. She enrolled in grad school at Johns Hopkins University in Washington, and while attending, she pursued two different master's degrees, one in business administration and one in communications. She was only 10 weeks away from completing her degrees when this case took place. While she was attending school, Jaina learned about the job at Lululemon after her friend Marissa came home with a bright red bag that sported many of Lululemon's eco-friendly slogans, which was just the thing that Jaina was into. She began studying the company for her business administration class. She really liked the company's philosophies and how they supported their employees' personal, professional, and fitness goals. One of her professors encouraged her to apply at Lululemon, and she got the job. 
She was able to adjust her schedule to fit around her school schedule, and things seemed to be going well for her. Jaina jumped right into the job, helping to develop the company's social media outreach, as well as taking advantage of the free yoga class on Sunday mornings and the free passes to the fitness clubs. She really loved the job and fully embraced the whole Lulu yoga culture thing. While she was in school, Jaina wrote her thesis on Lululemon. In her communications course, it said that she wrote a media plan for Lululemon and recommended that the founder and CEO take a media training class in New York. She also wrote up a crisis communication plan that Lululemon could use in case of an emergency or disaster in the store. Which is really tragic, knowing what happens later. On the night of March 11, 2011, Jaina was working with closing shift with a co-worker named Brittany Norwood. On the morning of Saturday, March 12, 2012, Jaina was supposed to be meeting her friend Marissa as she finished an early morning race. But as Marissa finished the race, she couldn't find Jaina anywhere. When she returned to Jaina's apartment and noticed that Jaina's cat Hobo hadn't been fed, she realized that Jaina never came home that night and became really concerned about her friend. Meanwhile, around 8 o'clock a.m., the manager of the Lululemon store where Jaina worked arrived at the store. She lived right across the street and had even timed her commute to 28 seconds. The Lululemon shop is nestled in a strip mall next to an Apple store. And as Rachel arrived at the store that morning, she immediately knew something was off because the front door was unlocked. She figured Jaina must have forgotten to lock up the night before, but this was this kind of carelessness was out of character for Jaina. Rachel entered the store and found the store a complete mess. Mannequins had fallen over, clothing was scattered all over the floor, a table was moved, and a flat screen TV had been knocked over as well. As she walked around the table, Rachel saw bloody footprints and at the same time, she heard what she thought was a low moaning sound coming from the back of the store. She immediately headed towards the door and burst out onto the sidewalk. There, she found plenty of Apple fans already lined up for the Apple Store's 10 a.m. opening. The iPad 2 had just been released the day prior, and people were ready to get on that. Particularly a man named Ryan who was sitting on a bench and smoking a cigarette and drinking coffee while he was waiting for the Apple store to open. He noticed Rachel was frantic and upset, and he asked her if she wanted him to go inside and check things out for her. She agreed, and then Ryan entered the Lululemon store. As he made his way into the store, he noticed a really bloody scene. He saw bloody footprints leading to the back of the store. Ryan approached a door near the back and asked if anyone was in the store. He tried to open the door and noticed that it was blocked by a body. He reached down to touch the body and got no reaction. He quickly turned around to leave the store, but as he passed by the bathroom, he noticed a woman laying on the floor surrounded by blood and debris. He noticed she was bound with zip ties and had her hands over her head. Her yoga pants were cut open between her legs. She had cuts all over her arms, her head, her chest, and her eyes were closed, but she was breathing. 
Ryan fled the store and told Rachel that there was a dead man in the store, but that there was a woman inside who was still alive. Rachel frantically called 911 and begged them to hurry to the scene. Shortly after, Kristen Knuth, who was a Montgomery County police officer, arrived on the scene. She told Ryan and Rachel to wait outside before drawing her weapon and heading inside. She assumed the assailant was still in the store at the time and was ready for whatever was waiting for her inside. As she was making her way through the store, she noticed the woman who was bound and laying on the floor in the bathroom. She then forced open the door to the hallway and quickly saw the body on the ground. It was the body of a woman laying face down in a pool of her own blood. A toolbox had fallen over top of her and the contents were strewn everywhere. Her pants and underwear had been slit between her legs. Officer Knuth checked for signs of life, but there, were, there was no pulse. It was too late for the woman, who would later be identified as Jaina Murray. Attention quickly shifted to the woman who was laying on the floor in the bathroom. Officers quickly removed the zip ties from her, her wrists and ankles and rushed her to the hospital. She was identified as Brittany Norwood, a 28-year-old employee of the Lululemon store. Brittany had only worked at the store for about a month prior to the event, and she was actually applying for other jobs at the time. She had interviewed at a gym for a personal training position shortly before the murder. When Brittany was at the hospital, Detective Deanna Mackey visited her and asked her to recount everything she could remember about what had happened the night before. Brittany remembered a shocking amount of detail from the attack. She detailed the gruesome attack over the next hour and described the horrific scene for the detective. Brittany stated that she and Jaina closed the Lululemon store and left at 9.45 p.m. Brittany rode the subway to work, and she realized quickly that her wallet was missing as it, it contained her fare card for the subway. Knowing that Jaina had the keys to the store, she called her, asking her if they could meet back at the store so that she could retrieve her wallet. They returned to the store, and they searched for about 10 minutes, but they couldn't find the wallet anywhere. Then, according to Brittany, Shayna offered up her own fare card that, so that Brittany would be able to get home that night. Now here is where the story takes a dark turn. According to Brittany's recollection, as they were approaching the door to leave again for the night, two men attacked the girls. They were dressed in all black with their faces covered by masks. The men snuck up on the two girls and hit each of them in the back of the head. One of the men drug Brittany around by her hair and cut her all over her body. Brittany, who is an African-American woman, claims that they were spewing racist insults at her until one of the men took her into the bathroom and raped her before assaulting her with one of the wooden hangers as well. During this time, Brittany said she could hear the other man beating Jaina and could hear her screaming as he drug her around by her hair as well. Brittany claimed that one of the men told her to show him how to open the cash registers in the safes in the store. Brittany said that she saw Jaina's body surrounded by blood. She then tried to help her before trying to flee out the back door before being jerked back by the assailants. 
She said the attackers tied her up with zip ties and left her in the bathroom where she lost consciousness. So that's the story Brittany told the detective while she was in the hospital. It's unbelievably horrific and disturbing. When they asked her to describe the attackers, she claimed that one was about six feet tall and the other one was shorter, about her height or maybe a little bit taller. She said they were possibly both white based on their voices, but she couldn't see their faces or describe them because of the masks they were wearing. Brittany also asked about her friend at the time. She wanted to know how Jaina was doing, seemingly unaware that she was dead. Police officers and media had flooded the street. Officers had had to cover the shop windows with brown paper to block the gruesome scene from view. The state's attorney, John McCarthy, also arrived on scene. Two detectives were assigned to the case. Their names were Jim Drury and Dimitri Rubin. At the scene, they found a ton of forensic evidence. They found bloody footprints from a pair of large male shoes as well as a smaller pair of women's shoes. They found box cutters, Brittany's bag, as well as a clump of blonde hair on the ground. There was glass from a broken vase on the ground in the bathroom. The scene described a vicious battle. Word of the attack quickly spread throughout the town. The story sounded like a robbery gone very, very wrong, with the girls being brutally attacked and one of them being murdered. People in the community were on edge. It seemed impossible for something this heinous to happen in Bethesda. Women in particular really put their guards up and worried about the thought of two madmen running loose in the suburbs, which, aside from this event, had a very low crime rate. Jaina's murder was one of two murders in 2011 in Bethesda, so this was a fairly safe place to live. It just didn't make any sense. The fear that had spread through the community led to over 300 leads flooding the police department's public tip line in just a few days. There was a reward of $136,000 for information relating to the attack. Following the attack, Jaina's body was taken to Baltimore for an autopsy by a Maryland state examiner. During the autopsy, the brutality of the attack was confirmed. Jaina had 232 blunt force injuries and 99 sharp force injuries. She had over 100 wounds just to her head alone, 39 of which were to her face. Her skull had been cracked in eight places. She had bruises on her neck and chin from a rope. There were, there were reportedly 37 wounds to the back of her head, including a three-and-a-half-inch stab wound directly to her brain which they had concluded was the fatal wound. In all, Jaina had 331 wounds on her body, including 105, which were identified as defensive wounds. Absolutely horrifying. Based on the wounds and the items that were located at the scene, it was clear that there were at least five different weapons used. These items included a hammer, a wrench, box cutters, a razor, a metal peg used to hold up, mani- hold up mannequins, a steel rod for hanging, hanging clothing, and a rope. 
It was also indicated that a serrated knife caused the fatal wound to Jaina's head. This knife was kept above the sink and used by the girls to cut fresh flowers to keep in the store. During the search for forensic details of the scene, a large pair of men's shoes were found on a rack in the store. The shoes had blood all over the top of the shoes, but the soles were clean. The shoes were missing the shoelaces, and when compared to the bloody footprints in the store, they met, matched the larger set of prints that was found perfectly. There were seemingly two sets of footprints in the blood at the scene, a larger set of prints, which matched the shoes that were found in the store, and a smaller set of prints. And what was strange is that it appeared as though the larger prints were directly over top the smaller prints, as if they were trying to kind of walk over the smaller prints or cover them up. Now, on the night of the murder, although there was no one else inside the Lululemon store at the time, there were people in the Apple store next door, a store which shared a wall with the Lululemon store. The Apple store had security guards as well as indoor and outdoor security cameras. The outdoor camera overlooked the store's rear entrance and side parking lot. And when detectives reviewed the footage, they found something really intriguing. While watching the footage, they noticed two men dressed in black walking past the rear of the Apple store, appearing to have come from the Lululemon store. One of the men was carrying a backpack, and this immediately raised red flags to the investigators since it matched really closely with Brittany's story. Another key piece of evidence appeared when they were interviewing the Apple store employees and realized that some of them had actually heard the attack as it happened. A manager named Jana claimed that she and other managers were tallying up receipts from the day when she started hearing weird sounds coming from the east wall of the store, which was the wall that the store shared with, Lu with the Lululemon store. She described the sound she was hearing as, quote, it sounded like something heavy was being hit or dragged, some grunting, some thudding, thudding some kind of high-pitched squealing, yelping, a female voice, like hysterical sounds, end quote. Which, I'm sorry, that sounds horrifying. That sounds completely horrifying. She was pretty concerned, obviously, and she went to get one of the other managers to listen to the sounds with her. Again, they heard the yelps, the thuds, and also some panting and then they heard what sounded like two female voices, one of which said, quote, talk to me, tell me what's going on, why won't you tell me, talk to me, end quote. And then another voice that said, stop, oh God, please help me, oh God, end quote. The voices eventually stopped, but the breathing and thuds continued for a while after that. The two managers of the Apple store eventually walked away from the wall and figured that it was just some dra drama and nothing to be concerned with. They didn't realize at the time that they had heard the murder of Jaina Murray as it was occurring. It was nine full minutes from 10.10 p.m. to 10.19 p.m. when the noises began and the noises end ended. They didn't call 911 or notify anyone of what they had heard until the next day. 
Immediately, investigators began looking for the persons of interest who were captured on the security footage. A manager at the nearby Mercedes-Benz dealership reported something strange on the day of the murder. A young African-American man who was known around town as a bit of a troublemaker was seen walking towards the Lululemon store with two white men who he hadn't been seen with before. He was also carrying a black pack at the time a black pack, a black backpack at the time too. So this set off alarm bells for investigators and detectives Drury and Reuben began investigating him. He had a long track record, including assault charges as well as reckless endangerment charges. The detectives eventually learned that this man was being treated at a a hospital for wounds to his head. So they were like, hmm. This is interesting, something to look into. They went to interview him, and he had a story to tell. He said that he was injured when he had gone to a club on Saturday night. He said he was assaulted, and that's where he got his wounds from. He then flipped the script and said the man who assaulted him, as well as an accomplice of him, of his had attacked the women at the Lululemon store and he had witnessed it from across the street. So this lead quickly fizzled out. The story wasn't adding up anymore to detectives, so they went back to square one. On Monday night following the murder, detectives Drury and Reuben went to interview Brittany for the first time. She retold the story as she recalled it, but she also added details that she hadn't mentioned previously. She now added that her attacker smelled of cigarettes and was also wearing a hoodie over his ski mask. She said his voice sounded like he was in his mid-twenties and that he and the other attacker were laughing during the assault, and they were both definitely white. She claimed that the attacker shoved her down into Jaina's blood and told her the attack was all her fault. She also said that the attackers had rummaged through her bag and knew where she lived and what her name was. The detectives asked Brittany about the pair of men's shoes, and she confirmed that these shoes were used when the men would try on clothes for the alterations in the store. So they knew that these shoes didn't come from outside the store, and if we remember from earlier, the tread on these shoes perfectly matched the bloody shoe prints that were found in the store. Weird detail. This definitely raised some, maybe not red flags, but like orange or salmon-colored flags for the detectives. So detectives Reuben and Drury were kind of in a weird spot. When they first went to interview Brittany, they believed her to be the victim of this traumatic event, too. But when they left the interview, they began to have their doubts about her story. Things were not completely adding up. For one, according to Brittany, the attackers came into the store without a weapon, and the only weapons used were the ones that were found inside the store. Another thing that was strange was the unbelievable amount of wounds that Jaina had, while Brittany's wounds were pretty superficial. Plus, If they had so brutally murdered Jaina, why would they leave Brittany alive and just zip tie her and leave her there as a witness? Another thing that was strange to the detectives 
was that Brittany's pants had been torn open and she had reportedly been raped, both by the attacker with his penis and with a wooden clothes hanger. But at the hospital during an examination, there was no evidence of any tears or tenderness or any other evidence for, of an assault. Of course, this doesn't mean that she wasn't assaulted. However, given the brutality of her description of the attack, it was surprising that there wasn't more evidence of an assault. Reuven eventually began to think that this wasn't a robbery gone wrong. He thought maybe there weren't any robbers. There weren't any attackers. He began to believe that it was Brittany who had killed Jaina. He initially only told his partner about his suspicions, but eventually he shared his thoughts with the entire department. They discussed whether they believed that the wounds were self-inflicted or not, and if it was possible for Brittany to have sliced herself in the way that she had been sliced and cut and attacked. And the other detectives began to think that this could be a possibility. During the search for evidence, Jaina's car was found parked three blocks away, and what was found inside really shocked the detectives. There was blood found on the car's stick shift on the inside door buttons and on the steering wheel. When the DNA was tested, it was discovered to be mostly Brittany's DNA, along with some of Jaina's. And a hat found in the back seat of the car was stained with Brittany's blood as well. As Michael Scott says, oh, how the turntables. The detectives knew they needed to get Brittany talking again. They wanted to see what she would say about being in Jaina's car. So they called Brittany and requested that she come to the station to give fingerprints and DNA samples for elimination purposes. And she did. She came back in and they began talking to her, making small talk. Eventually, they asked Brittany about Jaina's car and if she had ever been in it, to which she said no, which we know is a lie based on the DNA that was found in the car. So lie number one. Lie number two, when detectives asked Brittany about her sexual activity around the time of the murder, hinting that they may need to collect a DNA sample from her partner to compare to any DNA that would have been left behind by the attacker. And she claimed that she hadn't had sex recently. She also said that there wouldn't have been any semen left behind the by the attacker because he only raped her with his penis for a short amount of time before moving on to the clothes hanger, according to her. But according to the examination Brittany had at the hospital, there were traces of semen found inside Brittany at the time, indicating that she had engaged in sexual activity that week, which she had previously denied. Oof. So the detectives knew something up was up with Brittany's story. And while the rest of the community was searching for two crazed madmen prowling the streets, Detectives Brewery and Reuben were tr trying to strengthen their case around Brittany. Then they received a call from Brittany's siblings, and they claimed that Brittany hadn't been completely honest and she wanted to get something off her chest. So she, along with her sister and brother, came back into the station to set the record straight. Brittany claimed that she hadn't been completely honest during their conversation about Jaina's car. 
she now described how she had actually been in Jaina's car. And she had actually driven it to the location where it was found three blocks away after being, after being forced to by the attackers. She claimed that prior to the attack, attackers sexually assaulting and zip-tying her, they forced her to move the car and told her that they'd be watching her the entire time. And if she tried to talk to anyone, she would be dead. She even said that she had seen a cop when she was moving the car and she was too scared to flag him down. So this was not sitting right with the two seasoned detectives. They saw right through Brittany's story. They began questioning her about what really happened, telling her that they knew she wasn't being honest and that she needed to tell the truth. Brittany kept saying that she had told them the truth and they already had the information that they needed. But Detective Drury and Reuven stood strong and told her that they would be calling her sister and brother into the room for Brittany to explain what they, what she had done or they would be telling them for her. They read Brittany her Miranda rights and began to explain what they believed had, believed had happened to Brittany, to Brittany's sister and brother, Chris and Marissa. Eventually, Chris asked if he could be alone with his sister, and they allowed it. Then he asked her what had happened to Jaina and if Brittany had killed her. After some pushing, Brittany eventually admitted what had happened. She apologized to Chris and said that she didn't know what to do, and she's been doing so well with the job and everything. She was just kind of rambling. Chris asked Brittany if she had been caught shoplifting or something or what had happened that led to the attack. Not knowing that they were being recorded, they talked for about seven minutes while Drury and Reuben watched on CCTV from another room. The time had come. One week after Jane and Marie had died, Brittany Norwood was arrested for her murder. Brittany's trial began as a media circus. The family wanted the full weight of justice brought down on Brittany. It was really shocking to everyone that Brittany, who was around 120 pounds, was able to bring down the taller and heavier Jaina, who was just pure muscle, really athletic. It just seemed really crazy that Brittany took down Jaina in the way that she did. Six days of testimony followed. The jurors heard from the Apple Store employees, the medical examiner who had counted all 331 of Jaina's wounds, along with 23 other witnesses, and more than 200 pieces of evidence were presented. Then, what no one saw coming was when Brittany's own attorney detailed the events of that, that night by saying, quote, There was a horrific fight. Things got out of hand. And Jaina was killed by Brittany, end quote. Oh, well, thank you for your insight, sir. So that's it? The end? <laughs> he said that his client was not guilty of first-degree murder. It wasn't premeditated. She just lost it, according to him. Her attorney claimed that Brittany didn't mean to kill Jaina. She just lost it and couldn't stop at that point. The prosecution laid out a detailed list of events from that night and described how far Brittany went to cover up her crime. What they couldn't present was the actual trigger for the attack, 
which would come out later. The jury was sent to deliberate, and they came back with their verdict. Guilty of first-degree murder. Brittany Norwood was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In the months following the trial and the sentencing, more details about the true cause of the attack began to come out. There was a lot that couldn't be presented at trial, including that Lululemon, and specifically the women who worked at the Bethesda store, were on to Brittany. They knew that she had been stealing, not only from the store, but from other employees as well. She had only been working at the store for about a month prior to the murder, and she had been relocated after being suspected of shoplifting at another store. So this is what really happened that night. On the night of the murder, Gina and Brittany were finishing the closing duties and preparing to leave. One of the policies of Lululemon was for employees to check each other's bags for store merchandise prior to leaving. That night, when checking Brittany's bag, Jaina found a pair of leggings that hadn't been paid for. Brittany claimed that she had purchased them earlier from another employee, but didn't have a receipt to prove it. Jaina said that they would handle it the next day, but that she would have to let Rachel, the manager, know what had happened. The women left, their, left the store and went their separate ways. As she was leaving, Jaina called the other employee who J Brittany had claimed she bought the leggings from, and of course, they confirmed that she hadn't purchased them. Jaina then called Rachel and told her that they had finally caught Brittany in the act. Rachel told Jaina not to worry about it anymore and that she would fire Brittany the next day. A few minutes later, Jaina got a call from Brittany who said that she had forgotten her wallet in the store and needed to get back into the store to retrieve it. Jaina realized she had forgotten her laptop as well, so it wasn't a big deal for her to head back into the store. At 10.05 p.m., Jaina unlocked the door and turned off the alarm for the store. The door was never relocked. We know that Apple store employees began hearing strange noises at 10.10 p.m., it said that Brittany attacked Jaina as they entered the store for the second time. And by 10.19 p.m., these strange noises stopped. And that is the murder of Jaina Murray. So unbelievably tragic and unnecessary. Jaina didn't deserve what happened to her. She seemed like such a kind and loving person, and her life was cut short just because she was trying to do the right thing. Brittany is right where she needs to be. She's the worst, and I hope she never gets out of prison. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. The sources for today's episode will be listed in the show notes and also on the blog post for the episode at www.thehauntedcorner.com. Check out the other episodes of The Haunted Corner available now wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, with new episodes dropping every Monday and Thursday. For exclusive content and access to our Patreon-only Facebook group, please join us over on Patreon. If you enjoyed Cruise Ship Disappearances Part 1, Part 2 is available now 
only on Patreon at the $1 per month level on up. And there is a very special new episode coming soon to Patreon. You will see what I mean very shortly. (laughs) I'm not good at teasing things, so forgive me. You'll have access to all of that if you join on Patreon. If you sign up at the $5 per month level, you'll have access to an upcoming episode one week early. And you'll get an exclusive The Haunted Corner sticker after donating for three months, plus a lot more. Follow us on social media at The Haunted Corner on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. If you're enjoying the podcast, please be sure to tell a friend. If you have a case suggestion or correction to share, please send it to thehauntedcorner at gmail.com or submit it through the website. Until next time, be kind and take care of yourselves, and we'll see you soon. Bye.